kind uh, gift. Honestly, uh, it's super humbling. Usually, uh, here's how I feel about Pastor's Appreciation Month. I got paid this month, so I'm really appreciative. Uh, and so, so genuinely, uh, you guys have, have gone above and beyond, and that's really kind of you all. Uh, we love, love you all and are, are glad that we get to, to be together in gospel community, uh, serving one another and serving the community around us. That's, that's a great thing. So, so thank you guys for being a part of that. I'm not sure if you guys ever feel like people say the same words but use different dictionaries. I feel that way oftentimes with, with, with homonyms, right? So homonyms are these words that are spelled the same or sound the same but have different meanings, right? So uh, here's an example. I have a bat. Well, is it a winged nocturnal animal? or a piece of sporting equipment, right? Or, or, or how about the word, um, uh, 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 oh man, what was the one I was thinking of? Oh yeah, yeah, what about the word desert? Is it a dry, barren area of land where little rain occurs? Or if we use it as a verb, uh, it means to abandon, to desert, to, to, to desert someone, a person or a cause. Or how about the difference between uh, minute or minute? right? Same spelling. Is it a measure of time or, or how small something is? Or, or here's one, project or project. Uh, it could mean to plan, it could mean to throw or to cast an image on a surface. Or as a noun, it could be a piece of work. Uh, see, the reason why that matters is, is this morning in our passage, Jesus is going to be using the words living water. But, but there's those who are hearing him who are confused about what he means, and it makes all the difference in the world. So the question for us this morning is, will we understand what Jesus is saying, or will we also miss it? So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to John's Gospel. Uh, it is the fourth book in the New Testament. And remember, this is John who's not writing... Um, uh, an account of every detail of Jesus' life. He's not doing that. He's not trying to be um, a, a middle man or unbiased in what he's saying. He is saying that his purpose of writing this account of the life and ministry of Jesus is so that those who read about Jesus would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, we would have life in his name. That's John's purpose. That's why he wrote it. That's why he spent time doing it. And it's why he selected the things that he did about Jesus' life. What we'll read later on in the Gospel of John, that there were lots of other things that Jesus said and did that were not recorded in this account, in John's Gospel. But that these things have been recorded so that we in particular would have life in Jesus. And so that's why we're studying the book of John. It's not a history lesson. It is meant for us to be shaping our lives and transforming our priorities and our values by the Spirit of God at work in us. And so we are so glad that we get to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line, word by word in John's gospel as it points to Jesus's identity as the Messiah and as he calls us to believe in him and to follow him. So open up to John chapter 4. If you're able to, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. We were, I was going to do the whole 30 verses, okay? 
but like I was like doing a, a detailed outline of what was going on. I was like, we don't have time for that. Okay, like we already think my sermons are long enough, right? Can you think of a two-hour sermon? Yeah, Dave's like laughing. He doesn't want that. So we're going to do, so we're actually breaking it up into a few parts. We're going to have Woman of the Well Part 1, Woman of the Well Part 2 next week. But here's how it's going. I'm kind of giving the same ABI over the whole thing. And so it's going to feel a little bit unresolved. And you're going to be like, really? That's where we're ending? Yeah. And, and so it just means that you need to come next week to feel the resolution of what Jesus is doing in John chapter 4. Uh, but we have a verse of the series that matters as we are studying John's gospel and as we're thinking about the life of Jesus. Let's all say John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 together. I know you all already have it memorized. Let's say it together. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray for God to be at work in our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we do not want this to be uh, a history lesson about the difference between Jews and Samaritans or a history lesson of why did Jesus have to go through Samaria. Um, Lord, those are facts and those are, uh, are, are helpful, but, but we don't want to miss Jesus. And, and so, Lord, we recognize that for anything to be lasting of what we do, it needs you to be at work in it. We need your spirit this morning to, to uh, open our eyes to the truth of your word. We need your spirit this morning to be convicting us and correcting us and training us uh, so that we would love Jesus more and follow him obediently. So God, would you do a good work in us? Do what only you can do by your spirit in your word uh, to us this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me give you a roadmap of what's happening. Okay, here's the big idea. We're going to see it for two weeks in a row. So I know you all memorize my ABIs, but in case you uh, don't, here, this is going to be the same one this week and next week. Okay, so here's the big idea that if we don't walk away with anything else, this is what we want to walk away with this morning. Here's what it is. Here's what I think John is saying. Come worship Jesus, the gift of life, who invites us to find life in him and share him with others. That's the big idea we want to walk away with. Come worship Jesus, the gift of life, who invites us to find life in him and to share him with others. And so this morning, we're going to just look at, at, at the, kind of the setting of what's going on, the first 10 verses uh, that I've titled The Tired, Merciful Gift. And then we're going to look at the last kind of five or six verses, the eternal life source. Okay, and so, so actually, uh, because the, the passage has already been read, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but, but if you uh, don't have your Bibles, the inside our sermon notes, we have the, the, the sermon passage, and so you're able to look exactly at what we're looking at this morning. But I want us to, to think back here at, at what John is writing. Right, for years as I was reading the Gospels, uh, I thought that Jesus did ministry, and, and he kind of like looked for places to go, but it was just kind of like he wandered around for three years. But what's helpful in our passage this morning is that Jesus was really intentional 
uh, with what he did and, and where he did ministry. And so when it's okay for us to ask the question, well, why did Jesus go to Samaria? Uh, because the news about Jesus had, had gone to the Pharisees, we, we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 4. And we also need to remember back to the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2. Jesus knew that his hour had not yet come. Because it almost doesn't make sense, right? Jesus is having tons of success. Everyone is going to him to be baptized. The crowds are getting larger. And so instead of staying there to see it through, Jesus leaves and goes to Galilee instead. Because his hour had not yet come, which is what he said uh, in John chapter 2. You know, there were a few roads to go from Judea uh, 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 down to, to where they were going. Uh, one went through Samaria. One went across the Jordan River. Uh, and so, so if you think, if you look at a map, they call it the Transjordan Route. Would, they had to cross the Jordan River twice. It would take seven to ten days to travel. Uh, but, but to go through Samaria back to Galilee, uh, it would only take about a three days journey, okay? So it's like double the time or half the time. And so it was really practical for Jesus and his disciples uh, to go through Samaria, to intentionally go into Samaria with his disciples. We see he does it other times also. And they, and they come upon this town, Sychar, and, and we learned that, that this land back in, in Genesis 48 was given uh, to Joseph from Jacob, and, and it had this well on it, and the, and the land and the well became this inheritance that kept getting passed on and on to the, to the descendants of Jacob. And it really actually became an important place for God's people. It became an important location. It was a picture of the Lord's faithfulness. But these details don't seem so important, except that we get to see maybe a rare but essential picture of the humanity of Jesus. And I think that matters if we want to get Jesus right. If we want to rightly understand who Jesus is, we need to see this, right? Like the question often comes up, well, how human was Jesus? Did Jesus ever catch a cold? Did he ever break a leg? If Jesus came from heaven, why would he be tired from traveling? Jesus is not half man, half God. Right? You might think of a centaur, half man, half horse. Uh, but that's not like Jesus. Jesus came to earth 100% God. And Jesus taking on human flesh is not a flesh suit. He became fully human. He became man. And so actually, there's a really technical term for it. You don't need to know it. It's okay. But Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. Even right now, as he is enthroned in heaven, he is still 100% God and 100% human. In fact, that will never change for eternity. And so we don't just see the humanity of, of Jesus being tired. He was tired. He was traveling for three days. And, and so it's natural in the desert for there to be, you know, tired people. And so it's, we see the, the humanity of Jesus being tired, but we also see in this passage the mercy of Jesus. Look at verse 7 with me. Jesus begins this, this interaction with a woman, um, someone in, in society who uh, didn't value from verse 9. But it wasn't just any woman. 
It was a woman whose own community had rejected her. Uh, Think about this. Uh, We find out in verse 6, it's about noon. It's the sixth hour where Jesus starts this conversation. And let me set the scene for you, okay? It's kind of like going to a new school and accidentally sitting at the table with the kid who has no friends, but then realizing it, you decide to eat there anyway, every single day for the rest of the school year. So to some, that is social suicide. But to the friendless kid, it's like a lifeline. See, the reality is that this woman was there at noon, and people gather water in the morning or in the evening, but not at noon at the hottest part of the day. Uh, And then having to carry the heavy water jars all the way back. Ladies did it in groups in the coolness of the morning, and this woman had no group. This woman was not even doing it at the same time as these other ladies were. And so we will learn next week in the passage that she had gone through five husbands, and you can just imagine the level of a difficult mess that that must be. And this woman that Jesus started a conversation with then is also a Samaritan. And in general, what we see from verse 9 is that they disliked each other. And it's a deep-seated distrust, right? Remember that this is actually having to do what we read in the Old Testament Israel, the kingdom of God, gets split into two kingdoms, each with their own kings, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom uh, falls to the Assyrians, and its people are, are taken into a new land and into captivity. And then eventually the southern kingdom of Israel, known as Judah, was conquered by the Babylonian kingdom, and 5,000 of them were led off to captivity for 70 years. And eventually, those in captivity in the southern kingdom, they're given permission to return home, to return and rebuild. And so those from the southern kingdom who return to their homeland are really the Jews in Jesus' day. But the northern kingdom, they never returned home. They intermarried with those around them, and they became the result of the Samaritans. Okay, so so they were kind of like part of the family tree, but not fully Jewish, but not fully foreigners either. Right? They weren't trying to have family reunions together. There was bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so there'd be no reason why Jesus would want to speak with this woman. And yet, this just highlights the mercy of Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus cares about people. Jesus started the conversation, and and this woman was shocked as anyone else would have been. She's from the wrong side of the tracks. She's from the wrong part of the family tree. She believed the wrong things about how to worship God. She had made bad decisions that turned into worse decisions. But these differences didn't stop Jesus. These differences only make Jesus all the more merciful. So I just want us to hear this morning... Uh, It's actually the reason why we sang the song, Come As You Are. What we should hear this morning, that no matter what circumstances you face this morning, have faced this last week, have faced in the last five years, what you're going to face next week, uh, you are not too far gone to know the mercy of Jesus. I don't know everyone's backstory and struggles, but from this passage, we should see that no matter what is happening in our past or present. No matter who you are 
or where you are in your life or what you have done in your past isn't beyond the mercy of Jesus. You might feel alone and useless, but there is one who comes to you and his name is Jesus. Your mess isn't too big of a mess for Jesus. He invites you in. So don't delay. Come to Jesus with your hurts and with your brokenness and with your pain. It's why we sang the song. Jesus said that when I'm weak, I can come to him. When, when we are thirsty, we can go to him. No other place will satisfy, only him. Being at church is actually a profession. Not that you are holier than thou. Being here this morning is a profession that says, I don't have it all together. And I need the work of God in my life to reorient me back to living the way that I need to. No, in fact, actually being at church is saying that you need a savior. And so if that's you, you are in the right spot this morning. But I think there's, there's a part of us that, that needs to, to, to hear, uh, we need to hear f- f- that, that we need to redefine who we think we want to come to Jesus. I, I think I, I, I humbly but genuinely mean that. If we think someone's life is too messy to hear the gospel, I think we're believing the wrong gospel. The gospel that says that your life needs to be cleaned up before you are ready to hear about Jesus is a gospel that doesn't save. Are there people that we don't interact with because of their social standing or, you know, because they live in Cambridge and so they may not be worth our time? Or I know that family and their mess and so I'm going to be less thought of uh, because I'm trying to be part of their life. Or what about those who are new into town? What about people who disagree with things that we like? Brothers and sisters, when we say things like, the wrong people are coming to our church, I think we're actually revealing that we misunderstand Jesus and we misunderstand his mission. In fact, the remarkable part of the body of Christ is how much we don't have in common together to be unified on, but that we have the most common commonality together, and that is the Spirit of God who indwells us because we believe the gospel, because our hope is in the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. When people who love Buckeye football get together to hang out, and watch a game, and befriend one another, the world understands that. They're like, yeah, y'all are Buckeye fans. When people who love board games, that's coming up this Saturday, when people who love board games get together and hang out and play board games, the world says, hey, that makes sense. There's nothing remarkable about those things. But there's a reason why people say they don't like to talk about politics or religion at Thanksgiving because they want to make it through the the dinner with the weird part of the family tree, right? That's what happens. That happens at my house. 
Uh, God's greatness is displayed, though, when people who don't enjoy the same sports teams, who don't have the same politics, who don't have the same socioeconomic statuses, when they break bread together, when they sing God's praises together, when they served one another and others in the name of Christ, when a 70-year-old and a 25-year-old sit together around God's word and encourage one another in the Lord. Friends, that is the power of God on display. Their unity isn't found in a sports team, but in the most essential part about us is that we find our unity in the gospel that has the power to save and the power to unify and the power to transform. So please don't hear me say I don't think hobbies are okay or, or it's bad to have interests. Far from it. I think it's great. In fact, I think we want to use those interests as avenues for relationships with others, but our unity isn't built on those things. Our unity is not built on things that can change. We want our relationships to be a gospel-revealing type of community where the gospel is on display in our relationships, not second shelf to the love of politics or Buckeye football. I have nothing wrong with Buckeye football. Drew, it's okay, okay? No, Jesus, even by talking with this woman, gave dignity to her in a time where she probably just felt a bunch of shame. She was ostracized by her community, she was not liked by the Jews, and yet Jesus asked her for something, giving her purpose and dignity and value and worth. She was needed for something. I actually think, I, I wonder how often we as Christians think that we can only give to uh, those who don't yet understand the gospel. And I wonder what that might even implicitly say about how we value others if we only want them to listen to us? Might we need to show value to others even while we're sharing the gospel with them? Showing dignity and value was shocking to this woman. In our present day, when the other side of politics means that they have no decency, no brain, and they are to be defeated by any means necessary, Jesus shows us that the gospel gives dignity even to those who the world gives no value to. Even when the world wants us to dismiss the other side, the gospel gives dignity to those where the world finds none. Jesus asked for water, which he genuinely needed from traveling. But it was also Jesus who was giving something to her. L look at verse 10 with me. He says to her, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. All right, notice what Jesus says about himself, that he is the gift of God to the world, to her. Right? That's like a toxic trait that every other guy except for Jesus would be saying, right? So if a guy says, I am the gift of God to you, that's a, that's a really toxic trait. But for Jesus, it's true. He is God's gift to them. If she had realized Jesus as the gift of God to her, she would realize all that he actually had to give. 
Friends, there's a case of a misidentification of Jesus going on. In a book, the Gospel of John, that highlights the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who has come to take away the sin of the world and give life to the lost, it's common for people to not realize who Jesus is. I'm convinced that Jesus' words to this woman at the well are, are true of others also. If they only knew who it was who came to earth to demonstrate God's love to the world by dying on the cross for our sins, then we would be wanting more of him. After all, how can we put our trust in Jesus if we don't know who he is? See, I'm convinced that people say the same word, but they're using different dictionaries. Our own following of Jesus is going to be confused if all we know is that he died on the cross, but we don't realize who it is that stepped in our place on the cross. Our study of Jesus is so important if we want to trust in him. So a biblical understanding of Jesus, God in the flesh, is essential to actually trusting and following him. And a misunderstanding of Jesus will keep us looking for a different Messiah. So come worship Jesus, the gift of life who invites us to find life in him and to share him with others. Let's look at this last part of, of, of the first 15 verses. We're going to look at verses 10 to 15, the life, the eternal life source here. I'm not sure what it's like at your house, but it amazes me how often my kids complain about food that they've never tried. There'll be a new type of chicken, and James will say, I don't like this kind of chicken, but he hasn't even had a bite to try it yet. Every time we say, how do you not know that you don't like it, James? You haven't tried it yet. Come on, who else uses that phrase at home? Thank you. Okay, I see those hands. Yes. How do you know you don't like it if you haven't tried it? And then it becomes like this epic chess match of trying to convince them to eat a piece of the bite of chicken only for them to find out that once they have it, they actually kind of like it, right? If you only knew how good it is, you'd be asking for thirds and not complaining about touching it with your tongue. Jesus is saying something similar here in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But the living water phrase can confuse this woman uh, because living water actually could mean two different things, right? So living water is a reference to moving water, like a stream. And so, so a stream is, is preferable water, right? It's less likely to be tainted or to be going bad if the, if the water is flowing. And so notice what, what she says to Jesus about his access to this water in verse 11. He has nothing to draw the water with. He has no bucket. The well is over 100 feet deep. How could Jesus have something better? And, and yet verse 12 is clear. The well is good enough for Jacob. It's good enough for his kids. It's good enough for his livestock. And if it's good enough for those to be getting water from, then presumably we don't need another water source. But if Jesus does 
have a better water source, then that would actually make him greater than Jacob, who's this honored figure in, in their history. But Jesus wasn't referring to running water, like, like a spring or a brook. Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit as living water. Jesus is offering her something better. He says in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's interesting. Jesus says something almost identical to that just a few chapters later in John 7. He he says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's nothing wrong with the well. It will temporarily satisfy for a short time. The water is fine, but it could never eternally fulfill the thirst. No matter how good the water was, whoever drank from it would be thirsty again. And Jesus is offering a living water that had a greater effect than the water in the well. And so this this woman's failure to understand Jesus' words are actually eerily similar to to chapter 3 when Nicodemus, who goes to Jesus at night, uh, fails to understand about Jesus' words about birth from above. In both our passage and in John 7, where Jesus talks about this living water, the Spirit of God, uh, Jesus is connected as the source as the one who gives the Holy Spirit. Uh, Think of last Sunday, how uh, the description of Jesus was that he gives the Spirit without measure. There is no eternal life. There is no living water. There is no Spirit of God apart from Jesus as the source. Brothers and sisters, the reality is that our soul's deepest thirst is for God. Too often our desire to quench our thirst is misplaced. The reality of our lives is that we look for something that deeply satisfies, which is God himself, but we try to fill our thirst with things that don't work. We try to fill it with things that don't satisfy. They overpromise, they underdeliver. And we are trying to fill a thirst with things that will only make us more thirsty. Where the deepest souls, our soul's deepest thirst is for God himself, who made us in a way so that we can never be satisfied without him. Think of what uh, is written in Jeremiah 2 about Israel, who is being unfaithful towards God. It says this, For my people have committed two evils, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, God says, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
think of what happens when we drink salt water from the ocean. We think it will satisfy the thirst, but what it really does is it dehydrates us and makes it worse. And so we need to hear this morning that no matter how temporarily satisfying whatever the world offers you, and no matter how it feels for you in the moment, it won't last. It's like a high that eventually everyone comes down from. And when they want to feel that way again, it, it takes more than it took the previous time. And yet it still ultimately leaves us unsatisfied. Fame only lasts as far as the previous person's applause. Power eventually runs out. Sexual expression leaves us empty. Wealth does not fulfill our hearts. Our soul's deepest thirst is for God, and so we are to come to him, and he promises that he will satisfy. And how does he do it? How does Jesus do it? Jesus, Jesus satisfies not by taking away our thirst. He says you'll never be thirsty again, not because he takes away the thirst, because that would stunt our spiritual growth. But he does it, he satisfies us by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit who continues to refresh us. Do you guys see the difference there? Jesus isn't taking something away. He's actually giving us exactly what we need. The Spirit of God given by Jesus to his people dwells in his people for refreshment and life. And so what Jesus is giving is not just another well to go to, but he's giving a bubbling, leaping spring of water. Friends, have you ever thought about that without the Holy Spirit, life is like having a thirst that will never be quenched? Friends, that is true of our neighbors who do not know Jesus. They are looking for something for their lives to feel good and complete. But the reality, it's like having a thirst that is never quenched. I love the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Captain Barbosa, okay, I love the first one as he describes the curse of the gold of Cortez. And, and, and they were cursed never to die, but yet also not to live. Do you guys remember this scene? When they kidnap uh, Elizabeth swan or whatever and and she's in the captain's quarters and he's like watching her take a bite of the apple right and it's not because he's like oh she eats the apple really interesting no it's because there's no taste in their mouths they would eat without taste they would drink without satisfaction they were like a living ghost story captain barbosa says nothing satisfied have you ever considered that without knowing Jesus, it's like being constantly parched with nothing to quench our thirst. Only by coming to Jesus will we find satisfaction in life. He will give his spirit to us. See, what Jesus offers isn't something temporary, but something that actually never ends. So brothers and sisters, the question for us is, do you draw from the living water every day? Or do you just wait to go to the well on Sundays? Do you ask for living water from Jesus day in and day out? 
We can. We, we can ask. That's what Jesus is saying to this woman. He said, if you had known who the gift of God is, you would be asking him for living water. We can ask for living water from Jesus that we would never be, that we would never be parched, that we'd be satisfied and quenched uh, by his spirit. And so we can boldly go before the throne of grace. Look at the woman's response in verse 15. I love it. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. If you have read the Gospel of John, it's, it's like what the people say to, to Jesus later on in, in John 6 when, when he talks about how he's the bread from heaven and they say, Sir, give us this bread always. Uh, th- this woman here is, Sir, give me this water. I think it's really important for us to see the range the, uh, of people that the gospel's going to. Uh, think about the contrast of, of this woman here at the well and Nicodemus just a previous chapter earlier. Nicodemus was this learned man, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. He was a man, he was a Jew, he's a ruler. This woman seems to be unschooled, without influence and, and despised. She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, she's a moral outcast. And yet they both needed Jesus. They both needed eternal life. Friends, we are called to come to Jesus, the gift of life, who invites us to find life in him and to share him with others. That's what we're going to see next week, actually. We're going to, we're going to see this continued conversation continue to shape, and we're going to see uh, this remarkable response from this woman. And so this shouldn't feel fully resolved, uh, although though we do see a, a little bit of a peak, a little bit of a mountaintop here, because Jesus, who's promising the Holy Spirit, the living water that we need, Jesus is showing mercy. He's giving dignity, and he offers hope to all who come to him. This is just the place where we're camping out. Well, this is base camp one. Okay, we're going to continue to plot the mountain for next week as well. But we can already see the mercy of Jesus. We can already see his love for the lost. We can already see that he promises to give what only God can give, and that is his spirit that will well up into a spring of eternal life. Friends, that's why we worship Jesus. That's why we go to him. That's why we long for him to take shape in our lives. It's why uh, the Spirit must uh, work in our hearts. It's why John said last week that he must increase, but I must decrease. It's because Jesus gives the Spirit. We find life in him. And ultimately, we are called to share it with others. Because this is a wonderful Savior that we serve. He's the only one who can both turn water into wine, who can know everything about this woman that we're going to see next week, and yet is also tired from the journey. This fully God and fully man, Savior of the world. He's the one we follow. He's the one we trust in. He's the one we go to. He is the source of this living water, and he's the one that we we look to for life. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have not left us in a world that can not deliver us. But in fact, by your mercy, you have sent us Jesus. You have have brought him to be the Savior, to give the Spirit who will well up to eternal life in us. And so, God, we pray that our words would be just like this woman. Father, give us this water. Jesus, give us this water that we will not be thirsty again. And so, God, we just pray that we would come and look for life in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.